Amen. Well, if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to please turn with me to the book of Hebrews this morning. And we again welcome all of you who are visiting with us. We're really pleased to have you. And we hope you're blessed by your time with us this morning. Now, we, are, we have been studying through the book of Hebrews for many months. We have three more chapters to go. And we probably come to what is, for many, the most uh, famous and also uh, the most popular uh, chapter. If uh, Hebrews chapter 6 is the one that maybe causes the most consternation, uh, probably uh, Hebrews 11 is the one that causes maybe the most rejoicing among God's people. And this is where we are going to talk about the subject of faith. And we're going to look at this chapter, which sometimes is called the Hall of Faith, or the Hall of Fame of Faith. And so Hebrews chapter 11, and we're just going to read a few verses here. I'm going to take us probably through verse 7 in terms of the exposition uh, this morning. Let's again pray, and then we'll read our text. So let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for the scriptures and pray that these verses would be a great blessing so that we would love you, we'd love each other, and that we would love uh, the lost and desire to see them come to faith in Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that it, this chapter also would encourage us as we get the privilege of studying about godly men and women of old, we pray that it would encourage us to live out our Christian lives in the generation in which we exist. And so we pray, Lord, that these next couple of weeks would be a tremendous encouragement to this church. We pray that this church would grow numerically and spiritually. We pray, Lord, that we'd plant more churches, send more missionaries, and even turn the world upside down for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we ask, Lord, for your help today, that your spirit would be with me and with all of us, so that, Lord, we could glorify you. And knowing that Jesus has suffered so much, we pray for great blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11, let's look at verse 1, and I'll read down to verse 7. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now listen to the word of the Lord. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the men of old gained approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. <clears throat> By faith, Enoch was taken up, so that he would not see death, and he was not found, because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, 
it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Amen. Let's stop there. Well, uh, we were in the last chapter, those of you who are visiting with us, we were studying about perseverance. Perseverance is where you keep going, uh, even despite many things that are giving opposition to you continuing. And the author of Hebrews was reminding us that as a Christian, we have great need for perseverance. As we prayed earlier, the world uh, is against Christ and his people. Uh, We have a natural uh, enemy in the world. We have a supernatural enemy in the evil one that is satanically uh, attacking and seeking to cause many to fall and, and stumble. And we have also ourselves. We have still remaining corruption within ourselves that provides friction and resistance to continuing in the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we were discussing here uh, in Hebrews uh, that the author is trying to get this first generation of Hebraic Christians to persevere. They had their fellow Jews often to contend with who were in opposition to them. They had the Roman Empire uh, many times pressing down on them. Uh, They had their own problems in their own day. As we read in the previous chapter, some of them had been arrested. Some of them lost their homes. Some of them lost all their possessions. Um, And many of them had to endure sufferings and trials or at least come alongside those who were going through those sufferings and those trials and to share those burdens with them. And if, if it was not for faith, they would not be able to continue. Now, when I read Calvin's commentary uh, on this chapter, I kind of wondered if Calvin had gotten on the, out on the wrong side of the bed. Uh, he seemed a little bit grumpier than usual. Uh, than, and not to say that he's grumpy, but, uh, you know, he, he, he thought that this was a bad place for a chapter division. Uh, and I don't know. I, I tend to disagree with him. I think this is a good place to see that the author of Hebrews now is making a shift here. Um, And he's trying to show us really the the engine of our perseverance. And and what is the engine of that perseverance? The engine of that perseverance is faith in the Lord. It's faith in God's word and it's faith in the promises of God. And so what I want to do today is uh, take you through this Uh, by way of a few points. Number one, first of all, I want to talk a little about the definition of faith from from verse 1, the the definition of faith. Then secondly, um, we want to see the foundation of faith. And then thirdly, examples of faith. And then I am going to throw in a fourth one here. I know I don't usually do that. The necessity of faith. So, We're going to look at the definition of faith, the foundation of faith, verses 2 and 3, examples of faith, verses 3 through 5, and the necessity of faith. Now, the author of Hebrews, as I said, was warning us that we should not continue in sin, but we should seek to exercise faith in the Lord. And so, He begins in this 11th chapter with a definition. Now, I would agree 
that this is not intended to be an all-comprehensive definition of faith, but rather it is to emphasize the patience that is needed to endure. So look at verse 1 with me. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of the things not seen. That's the New American Standard translation of it. Or I summarized it this way, that faith is the assurance or conviction of unseen expectations. Faith is the assurance and the conviction of unseen uh, expectations. How can we have an assurance about something that we don't see or something that is still yet in the future here? Now listen, everybody has faith in some sense in something. No matter who you are or what your worldview is, everybody has certain presuppositions that they build and ground their entire life upon. And what the the Christian is doing is that we're arguing from the scriptures that our foundation is really the only foundation that you can have that will survive both in this world, but also for the judgment that is to come. You remember how Jesus, after preaching the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus comes to the climax of that sermon. And what does he say? He says that everybody's building a house. And everybody's building a house on one of two foundations. Either, boys and girls, they're building a foundation, a house on a foundation of sand, or they're building a house on a foundation that is secure and steady, like a rock. And what we are arguing here at Covenant Presbyterian Church is that everybody has some kind of grounds. That is, there's something that they believe that they just believe. Now, they may say, well, I believe it because science tells me. Or I believe it, you know, because I just experience it that way. What the Christian is saying is we believe what we believe because the Bible tells us, because the word of God is our foundation. And Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, everybody who builds on my words, speaking of the words of Christ, builds on that foundation. If we don't build on that foundation, then we are building our lives and our homes and our families and our cultures on something that will not be able to stand in the day of a storm, and it will collapse. So I I do want you to realize, and especially I really want high school students to hear this message today, because in high school, you are beginning really to develop your worldview. And you're beginning to interact with the worldviews of others out there. And I want you to understand that everybody has a worldview and everybody has a foundation on which they presuppose that worldview. And our foundation as believers and what the the author of Hebrews is saying is our faith, our uh, faith is an assurance and a conviction of unseen things. And what are those unseen things? I would argue it is the word and the promises of God. 
that we are building our lives upon. Now, I know that it is common, and you will hear this, high school students, that they'll say, well, that is circular reasoning. What you learned in your church is circular reasoning, and we don't believe in circular reasoning here. Let me tell you something. They do believe in circular reasoning. Their circle is more vicious than your circle because they start with themselves and end with themselves. They say, I believe what I believe because I believe it. We at least are going outside of ourselves and saying, I believe what I believe because God said it. And so don't allow people to uh, bamboozle you into thinking that their worldview is based on something superior, that you, are, you have got some kind of logical fallacy at the root of your worldview, and they do not. No, 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 no. When you're dealing with ultimate things, everybody has some kind of, I'm putting it in air quotes, everybody has some kind of faith. Everybody has some kind of presupposition. Everybody believes in something just because that's what they believe. You know, um, Louis Grizzard used to joke, he lived up the road in Moreland, Georgia. He was, he was from Moreland, Georgia. And, you know, he used, he used to joke that he had a family member who believed that the moon landing was fake and, and TV wrestling was real. <laughs> and, uh, of course, you know, we laugh uh, at that because it is funny. But, uh, <laughs> but... Well, what was Louis Grizzard essentially talking about? He's talking about epistemology. That's the big fancy word for what he's talking about. He's talking about the, the science or the philosophy of why we know what we know. How do you know what you know? And, and what's the standard by which you judge what you know? This is a great question. And philosophers can spend their lifetime thinking about these things. What is the basis of your standard for what you believe? What is the assurance that you have about anything? You know, I think we're facing an increasing crisis of nihilism or nihilism in, in this culture, that uh, all of life is meaningless, and, and there is no meaning other than what I import in it. And whatever generates happiness for me, that's the meaning of my life. And increasingly, I think this worldview is competing with the historic Christian worldview. Um, everybody has a worldview. And if our culture jettisons Christ and the Word of God, it's not as though uh, we just uh, pleasantly fall into a another philosophy that does not have severe consequences we are building upon something that will not stand. And I think the, the danger that we are confronting in the 21st century, at least here in the West, is we are rejecting Christ in the West, and we are trying to say we can have all the benefits of the West without Christ. We're going to, we are going to reject the foundation, and we're going to try and continue to build the many blessings that we have built, you know, education and, and the progress we've made in the sciences and arts and things like that. But we're going to try and do it without Christ. This is exactly what the school I graduated from is trying to do. 
It, it started as a school where the first president of my college said that what? The Bible is the center of everything we do. Now, I don't think the present president would say such a thing. I graduated with him. And I, I you know, he gave a Christmas message, you know, from Davidson College uh, back in December and never mentioned Christ and never mentioned the incarnation. And so what we are trying to do here in the West is we're trying to have the blessings of God without God himself. Where does faith come from? The Bible says faith comes by grace through the hearing of the word of God. Faith is a gift from God. Faith is the work of the Holy Spirit working in a person who by nature has no faith. Faith is, a, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that faith is the work of God's Spirit, the work of God's grace, whereby we, having been regenerated within, that is, new life has been brought spiritually within us, God gives us that faith whereby we lay hold of Jesus Christ, whereby we lay hold of the promise of the gospel, the promise of salvation, and the promises of God's word. Faith uh, does not look within itself for its own resources. Faith sees the impoverishment of its own self and says, I must go outside of myself to my Savior, to the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you are not yet a Christian, the, the place that you begin is by hearing what you're doing now, hearing the Word of God, and listening to the Word of God, and believing the Word of God. That is our starting point. That is our, that is our foundation, and that is our reference. Um, you know, I remember when I was a young man, and, and I had R.C. Sprawl as, as a student, and he used to tell us, you know, he said that God cannot appeal to anyone higher than himself to validate what he's saying. God can only appeal to his own being and character uh, to validate the word of God. And, and, you know, that's what you see in the covenant with Abraham when, when, you know, that strange passage where Abraham splits the animals in two parts and, and God goes through the, the parts. What is God saying? God is saying, if I am not faithful to my word, if I'm not faithful to my covenant with you, Abraham, may I split like these animals. May judgment fall on me. God takes a self-maledictory oath, it's called. You like that? <laughs> he takes a self-maledictory oath upon himself uh, that he would be as those animals split in two if he is not faithful to his word. So God's word is always the place that we must begin to have faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Where do I gain that assurance? Where do I gain that, that hope, that confidence 
I gain it by God's grace through faith. So if you're not yet a Christian, the, the place for you to start is to acknowledge, Lord, I really don't know anything about anything. I, I, Lord, am but a creature. I'm made of dust. You've made this giant universe. I have no idea where even the edge of, these, of this universe is. I don't know. There is so much I don't know. Lord, I am, I am but a child before you. I need wisdom. I need knowledge. And the Bible says that the beginning of wisdom and the beginning of knowledge is the same place as the beginning of faith. It is the fear of the Lord and the believing in his word. That's where we start. If we don't start with faith in God, in his word, we are beginning this construction project all amiss. We're building a foundation that will not stand. Now, um, so that's my, my first part there, that the definition of faith and why we have to begin uh, with faith. Look at verse 2 and verse 3 with me here and talk about the foundation of it. For by it men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Now notice a couple things. The first one from verse 2. Notice here that that the men of old gained approval. Now, what is he speaking about here? He's talking about those that we read about in the Old Testament. They gained approval with God, such as Abraham or Noah or Moses. What is it that these men and women had in common? They believed the word of God. And the Bible teaches what? We are justified by grace through faith in him. Abraham believed the promise of God. He looked up, he counted the stars if he could, and he recognized the promise of God when God said, Abraham, I'm going to make you more numerous than all these stars of the sky. And the Bible says he believed God, and it was credited to him at that moment as righteousness. Abraham was declared righteous. And so when you put your faith in God and in the Lord Jesus Christ, God credits it to you as righteousness. You are declared by God righteous in his judicial sight. You are right with God, to put it more simply, when you believe in Jesus Christ, in his death and resurrection. You are declared right with God, not because you inherently are righteous, but because God is inherently righteous, and he gives the righteousness of Jesus Christ to everyone who believes. So notice here that it is through the instrumentality of faith that we gain approval with God. Then he goes on to comment on Genesis chapter 1. Notice what we see here. In verse 3, by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Now, this is very interesting, isn't it? Because here is where I think we see 
this concept of faith applied. It's something we can all understand because it's something that even in the 21st century, we still talk about today. And, and that is the origins. Where did we come from? How did we get here? And different people have different views on this. Some people say there's a, there was a, a big bang theory, uh, boys and girls. I'm talking about people outside of the evangelical church. There was a big bang. Some believe matter is eternal. And what's here has always been here. And will always be here. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says, no, faith tells us something else. We understand that the worlds or this universe was prepared by the word of God. Look at Genesis chapter 1 in your Bible. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, what do we read? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And then if you uh, look at verse 9, let the waters below and the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And then in verse 11, let the earth sprout vegetation, and it was so. Verse 14, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate day and night. And jumping on down, it says, and it was so. And it goes on through the whole of the chapter there. The word of God speaks and creation comes into being. And this is theologically where, where we get the doctrine of, it's a Latin phrase, uh, students, ex nihilo. E-X is the first word, nihilo, N-I-H-I-L-O, nihilo, meaning that out of nothing, God brings material into being. Out of nothing, God makes all things. So that, that what does the author of Hebrews say about this? He says, by faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. So that where do we begin with understanding who we are in this universe? We begin with God again. We begin with the word of God. And isn't it interesting when you get to the New Testament and John begins his gospel, where does John begin? John begins in the same place where Moses begins and where the author of Hebrews is telling us here in chapter 11. In the beginning was what? The word. And the word was God and the word was with God. That God was there in the beginning and that Christ was there who is the word. <clears throat> so that faith uh, not only is defined here, but it is the very foundation of everything that, that we hold to, even the, the created order in which we live. Now, let me, let me try and explain it this way. Again, especially for you students, I want you to understand uh, because there's a lot of competing views as to where we came from and how we got here. You know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm even seeing it, you know, where some people think aliens had something to do with it, you know. Uh, some people think we came from apes. Some people think, you know, they, all kinds of things. When, when you don't have the Word of God as your starting place, you will invent all kinds of stories 
in order to explain your existence, even if those things make no sense, even if there's no skeleton record showing anything between this animal and us. There's no, there is no chain because there's no fence. <laughs> there's no linkage. Um, but yet this is, this is what fallen man does. He suppresses the truth and unrighteousness because he will not submit to the lordship of God and to the lordship of Christ, which means submitting and believing his word. He will suppress the truth about God in this universe, even though this universe is, is yelling at the top of its lungs. This is the work of God. Worship God. A man in his, in his sinful condition says, no, I won't. And I'll, I will go out of my way to invent all kinds of stories and myths. And I'll even call it science or philosophy to suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. But faith does what? Faith makes the word of God the foundation of their existence and of their life. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. That the material world is not eternal. Uh, despite what we were taught, uh, those of you who grew up watching Cosmos with Carl Sagan, you know, that the universe is all that there has been and that it is all that there will ever be. Remember that introduction every time you had to watch the PBS series for school? Uh, that uh, Carl Sagan would talk about, you know, the material world and the cosmos is all that there is. But no, the word of God says what? We believe in creation ex nihilo, out of nothing. We believe that in the beginning was what? Was the word. In the beginning was Christ. Not matter. Not eternal matter. But an eternal triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, we see the definition and we see how foundational faith is for even understanding all things. But then if you look at verse uh, 3, 4, 5, you begin to see examples of faith. And we'll talk more about examples of faith as we move through this chapter here. But look at verse 4 here. Not only is faith a, a, an important instrument for understanding our existence as human beings, but also as worshipers of the true God. Look at verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. Now, what is, what is the appeal here to Abel? Well, I think, first of all, the appeal is historical, in that Abel, of course, was one of the first human beings uh, to come into existence after God created Adam and Eve. They, they brought forth Cain and Abel, and you know the story, boys and girls. And what, did, what was going on in that story? That God was displeased with Cain because Cain was not bringing the kind of sacrifice that he desired. Cain likely was bringing an offering from the field, whereas Abel was presenting a blood offering, which was pointing to Christ. It's very interesting to see that um, 
you know, a, a, lot of, a lot of Christians today, I don't think, put a whole lot of stock in the second commandment. You don't, you don't hear too many evangelical sermons on the second commandment, do you? Thou shalt not make any graven images. And yet, I think it's the second commandment that's at play here in, in Cain and Abel. The question is, are both of these men who know God exists, are they going to worship God in the way that God has commanded or not? When the Bible says, thou shalt not make any graven images, it means not only uh, that we, we, we don't have another God, that, that's the first commandment, but that we worship the true and the living God in the way he's prescribed. That we worship God through Christ. We worship the Father through the work of Jesus on the cross. And, and Abel was anticipating that in offering the blood sacrifice. And so Abel's sacrifice was accepted because Abel offered it in faith unto God. And that faith was evidenced by doing it the way God had said to do it. You see, the second commandment is very important. And it is, a, it is a touchstone of faith. But Cain resisted and said no. And instead of offering the sacrifice and resisting the sin that was tempting him, that was crouching at the door of boys and girls, remember? He did what? He gave in to sin and he murdered his brother. And his brother became the first martyr of the church. And notice the Bible says that though he is dead, he still speaks. Uh, his faith is still speaks to us here. Then look at verse, uh, verse 5 here. It moves on to Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was found because God took him up, for he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. So now we come to Enoch, who is interesting because here's the first man who did not die. There are not many of them. Uh, we know Enoch. We know Elijah was taking, taken up uh, while alive in the uh, chariots of fire, and Elisha saw it. Uh, but before there was Elijah, there was Enoch. And we don't know a whole lot about Enoch, but we know he was a man of faith. And because he was a godly man who walked with God, God was pleased to translate him to glory without him going through death. Now we know that that will occur at the second coming. There will be many in the day that Jesus Christ returns who will be translated and glorified and caught up into the air with the Lord after the dead has been after the dead has been raised we we read in in Thessalonians that the dead will be raised in Christ first and then those who are alive in Christ will be glorified and caught up in the air with them and that i believe is the not a prelude to the millennium i believe that is the end of history that Thessalonians is speaking of that is the second coming of Christ and the beginning of the judgment and the eternity that that will follow here. So Enoch uh, presupposed that. He had fellowship with God. How is it, boys and girls, that Enoch walked with God? He walked with God by faith in God. And that's all we're told. 
My question is, are you walking with God yourself this day? Are you walking with the Lord? Is the Lord your daily companion? Do you speak to the Lord as you go about your business in this life? Do you pray to him? Do you seek his word? Do you seek to have communion with God? Do you feel not just quite right when, when you're not walking with the Lord? Is there something bothering you within when, when you, you, you feel like you're getting distant from the Lord or you feel your heart growing a little cold or you feel like your spirit's taking on a little bit of a worldly character to it? Are you walking with God? Enoch walked with God. He, he considered communion with God to be the most precious thing he had in this world. You know, if you have somebody who has faith in God and they walk with God, they can go through all kinds of trials and tribulations. When you're walking closely with God, you can go and you can endure all kinds of things, all manner of things when you're walking close with God. But when you're distant from God, you know, the Proverbs tells us, especially with the unrighteous, that even the scattering sounds of a leaf Blowing in the wind can scare you. But when you're walking with God, the Bible says that the righteous can be as courageous as a lion. When you're walking with God and you're communing with God, how do you walk with God? How do you, how do you live a life that's communing with God? Well, you begin, you know, again, by faith in the Word. And you, you start your day with the Lord and you, you get up and you thank the Lord and you pray to the Lord and you, you know, read the word before school. Read the word before going to work and, and you commit yourself maybe with a short devotional or family worship. And as you go about your day, you just continue to think upon the Lord. The, the apostle Paul says that whatever you find your hand doing, do it as all as unto the Lord. If you're mowing the lawn, mow it unto the Lord. If you're raising chickens, raise them to the Lord. If you're studying algebra, study unto the Lord. You know, if you're changing a diaper, change it unto the Lord. Whatever you're doing, exercise faith in what you're doing. If you're vacationing, vacation unto the Lord. We walk with God. And, and when the Bible says to pray continually, it doesn't mean that all we do as believers is pray. But just as we go through the day, even if, it, if it's just an arrow prayer, you remember how Nehemiah shot up that arrow prayer when the king said, Nehemiah, why is your face sad? And he thought, uh-oh, Lord, help. Give me wisdom. What do I say to the king? He just shot up a... Quick arrow prayer. He, he was walking with God. He was ready. I remember the story that uh, was told that the, um, there was a, a minister in Margaret Thatcher's cabinet who was a Presbyterian. And they had a national crisis. And Margaret Thatcher, in the midst of the crisis, turned to our brother, who was a cabinet member, and said, will you lead us in prayer? And at that moment, he prayed uh, for the country in that crisis. He was ready to do so. He wasn't caught off guard. Why? Because he was walking with the Lord in his calling. You know, some people think you can only walk with the Lord if you're a minister. Nonsense. 
you have to be a minister. You have to be, you have to be 24-7, you know, giving your life to the ministry. No, everyone can walk with the Lord. No matter what your vocation is, we can all walk. But how did Enoch walk? He walked by faith with the Lord. He was close to the Lord because he believed God. And God delighted in him and took him up. The last thing I want us to see before we close, we've seen the definition of faith, the foundation of faith in our lives, the examples of faith, but let's talk finally about the necessity of faith. Verse 6, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. If we want to live lives that are pleasing to God, we must exercise faith. This is what pleases God. My trust, your trust in Jesus Christ. It's coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, I am a sinner. I need grace. I need forgiveness. I need help. But I trust in you and I trust in your word and I trust in your son. And I put my faith in him. I trust in him as the son of God, as the son of man, as the son of David, who came into this world to save a sinner like me. And so if, if you are trying to please God some other way this morning, it's never going to work. If you're trying to be a good girl, quote unquote, a good boy, quote unquote, and doing all the right things, trying to earn some kind of credit or favor with God, it will not work. You know what's going to happen? You're going to become, eventually you're going to get bitter. You eventually become like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. You're going to say, I never left you. I always did what you said to do. And you've never thrown me a party. That's where you're going to end up if you don't have faith in God. The problem with the older and the younger brother, as I've said before, is that neither one of them had faith. Neither brother had faith at first. They just expressed that in different ways. One went wild and one became self-righteous. One left the church and one never left the pew. But they both were distant from God. They both needed to return to God. That was the point, is that Jesus, we are told, looked out onto the crowd and he saw the Pharisees and the publicans. He saw the older brothers and he saw the younger brothers. And he was telling both groups of people, he was telling the Pharisees and he was telling the sinners, you both have the same problem. You lack faith in me. You lack faith in the word. Both of you need to repent. Both of you need to believe. Both of you need to commit your life to Jesus Christ. Both of you need, no matter what kind of person you are, you need to believe and have faith in the Word of God. And Jesus is the Word of God. Jesus has come that you might have life and have it abundantly. You're not going to find life by leaving the farm and going and, and serving the pigs in the world. You're going to be destitute and hungry and poor. You're not going to 
You're not going to have joy and happiness by staying on the farm, but considering it a huge burden in your life as though God were some kind of taskmaster, never can please him. The old man gives me this to do and that to do. Every time I do it, that's all I do is do what he says to do and nothing ever good of it comes and he never throws me a party. Both types of people need faith. Both need to put their trust in the Lord. Without faith, it is impossible to please the Lord. You have to begin by faith. How do you get that faith? You say, Lord, I don't have faith. Help my unbelief. I believe I, I believe. Help my unbelief. That's what the man with the, the uh, demon-possessed child had to do. The father with the demon-possessed child had to do. And nobody can seem to cast the demon out. And Jesus says, how long am I going to be with this generation? You guys have no faith. And the father says, I believe, help my unbelief, Lord. And maybe that's where some of you have to begin. Lord, I, I believe as much as I can, but God, help me. I need more faith. Increase my faith. That's what the disciples said to Jesus. Increase our faith. Send your spirit. Teach me your word. Listen, your faith, though, is not going to grow if you neglect the means of grace. If you're making church uh, a, a rare habit of yours, you know, if you think you're going to grow in your faith by showing up at Christmas and Easter or showing up, you know, once a month, your faith really is not going to grow that much. If, if, you're, if you're not giving yourself to the scriptures and, and listening to the scriptures or reading the scriptures. I was talking to somebody, you know, and, and it's hard for them to read. Their, their, their health isn't very good and, and it's hard for them to read. And I, and I said, you know, one of the great blessings I've found is, you know, audible. And, and you know, you don't, it doesn't require a whole lot of effort. You can just list, let the scriptures be read to you and receive the word, you know, that way. Uh, maybe you're getting old and your, your eyes are failing you and you, don't, you can't read the Bible as much as you'd like. Well, try listening to the Scriptures. might be a way to grow in grace, grow in faith. But if we neglect the means, we're not going to have a faith that is increasing here. Notice here how encouraging the last part of verse 6 is. And I'll close with this. Not only is it impossible for us to please God without faith, but it says here that He is, well, excuse me, he says, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. We have a heavenly father who wants us to seek him, who delights in children coming to him. He's a rewarder of them. He rewards us when we persevere and when we labor in the means of grace through word and prayer he blesses us how many times have we experienced that where we've gone to our prayer closet we've gone to the prayer meeting and we've come away with a blessing we were seeking the lord maybe even out of habit because we say this is what we do on wednesday night you know but yet god is the rewarder of those who seek him and he gives you that extra blessing. Amen.